Okay. Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series, and we are still in Masechet Sanhedrin. And last week, we spoke about the creation of Adam, the group of angels who had a debate with Hashem, with God, about if it's worth to create Adam or not. They made their points, and Hashem has their, his answers for them. And some of the secrets about Adam, that was uh, where we ended up last week. And uh, I'm continuing. We still, like I said, Masechet Sanhedrin. We're just about to finish it. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Natan Omer, Siman Yafel Amet, one good sign. This is, this is where we ended up the shiur exactly last week. So the Gemara says, Siman Yafel Amet, good sign to a dead person. When a person died, it's a good sign to see that after his death, there was some kind of tragedy to his body. Most people, if they see, for instance, someone dead, and then the bear or the lion comes and eat him up, then they say, wow, look, poor guy. Look. But that's a good sign. Why? Because uh, you can see that before he goes to, to his trial, to his judgment, there was some kind of punishment that Hashem wanted to give him. And if he wanted to give him a big punishment, he doesn't need to do it now. He would wait for the, after the trial and send him to hell, to Gehenom. To, for many years. If there is something that happens to his body after, that means it could be one of the, of the last things that he has to pay for, and it's done. Uh, now, so... Snake? Snake? Yeah, well, you know what it is, the, with the pen, what are we talking about? If it's already in a grave, it's not a good sign. If it's before the grave, it could be a good sign. But you see, like I said, we are not talking about scientific uh, knowledge here. It's not scientific. It's, I'm just saying to you, siman it's a good sign. Also a, a, a dead person that did not have a eulogy. Did not have a eulogy. Now, when does a person doesn't have a eulogy, either that the people of his place were such ignorant they didn't know they have to do it, or that it falls, uh, it falls on uh, on cholamoed uh, holidays, then you don't make eulogy or the month of Nisan, so then there's no eulogy. All right. So, or a dead person that was not buried, or that an animal is grabbing him and pulling him to a different place. Or that in the time of his funeral, there's heavy rain on his coffin, on his bed. That's all of this, not like what people think. This is a good sign, it's not a bad sign. Okay, so we're done with Masechet uh, Sanhedrin. We're just about, there's one more thing. Amar Rabbi Elazar, There is two, two different levels of people. There are people who are connected with the Torah. They learn Torah, they know Torah. And there are people who are busy with other things and they don't know Torah. So when the people, the ignorant people, they look at the Chachamim or the rabbis, so there's always different kinds of ways to, in their mind that they're judging them. So the Gemara say, in the beginning, it looks like gold to him. And then after that, to silver. And then like a ceramic. And then he'd break, the ceramic break, and there's no way to glue it back. You understand? So basically, this is what it is. In general, it's not only the rabbis. In general, it's always like this. When, a per, when, a, when you hold highly of a person, right, you don't know who he is. 
then you get to know him and you're close with him. Even though the person is 100% perfect and he's righteous and he's very high, everything is fine, you get used to him. After a while, you feel like you're his friend. So you don't admire him like he deserves you to admire him. If you come once in a while to see him, you admire him because you don't get to talk to him. But for instance, if you are his driver, you see what a righteous person is, you see all the things he does, even more than what the people see. So you should really technically admire him even more. But since you got used with him, you see how he sits with you, he eats with you, he goes into the bathroom, comes out, you hear him talking on the phone, you know personal things about him, so automatically his level goes down in your eye. That's why they, in, in one place the Gemara said that a Talmid Chacham, someone who is a high level scholar, should not eat in front of Amaharetz. Should not eat in front of the ignorant people, like in parodies on this, why? It makes him look l less in their eyes. And then there's many other examples. Also, I'll give you another example. If, a, if they see him going to work, if he goes, let's say, as a rabbi, and he goes to 47th Street and work and sell jewelry, automatically his level is much less than someone who nobody saw him work. Not that it's an embarrassment to work. It's an honor to work and make your own money, right? Better than to live off people's charity. But automatically, psychologically, it affects the people. Also, there's one more thing. It's called En Navi Be'iro. There is no profit in his own city. Which means, if Hashem wants someone to give you a prophecy, it cannot be a prophet that resides in the same city where the people are. If Hashem wanted, for instance, to send a prophet to the city of Nineveh, which was all going there at that time, but let's say it was a Jew, Jews there, and he wants to give a prophecy to the Jews, he cannot use someone from the, the same place of Nineveh. It has to be an outsider. Why is it? Because people don't turn to respect someone who lived with them for many years. Yeah, you come to be a rabbi to tell us what to do. But when it's a stranger, someone from far away, is, they, have, they have much more incentive to give him respect. Same thing about Chazan. It can be Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Almost every yeshiva and, and major synagogues, they bring a Chazan from Israel or from far away. Why? Sometimes there's a righteous Chazan in a community. Or the one who pray all year. Everyone knows he's a righteous person, he's good, he has great voice. But they have to have a special Chazan that comes once a year. You see him two or three days a year. Why? Because over there, the people get better feeling that is like somebody important. But someone that they're with all the time, they don't feel the occasion as important. And there's many other examples. We, we're done with Masechet Sanhedrin. Now it's uh, 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 one more thing here. Actually, no, we're not done yet. There's one more thing here to talk about. The Gemara says, uh, Hashem said to the Jews, uh, when you enter the land, Israel, you have to make sure you burn all their idols completely. So the Gemara says, What the trees, the trees cannot eat, cannot drink, cannot smell, cannot move, cannot do anything. The Torah says, destroy and burn and do not leave anything from it. Right? Why? Why? Why you have to destroy the tree? If, if a foolish goy bowed down to this tree and made the tree his god, his idol, why you have to kill a tree? What's the tree have to suffer that some fool decided that he's god? You know? So what's the point here? So the answer of the Torah says like this. 
because they were involved with a sin that a human being made, even a goy. Still, Hashem expects the going to keep seven laws, and one of them is not to follow idols, not to worship idols. So it says like this, it, just because a person is going to be punished and it's related to that tree, the tree doesn't have a free choice, it's not his fault, right? Some, it's needless to say someone who made another person commit a sin, right? And that his punishment will be a lot worse to be destroyed. The tree that is not his fault, the, say, the Torah said destroy it, Get it from the root. Do not leave any inch from it over there. That nobody will ever know there was an idol here, right? Someone who made another person commit a sin is alachat kama v'chama. It's needless to say. It's needless to say. Uh, then the Rish Lakish say ovet kochavim goy that observe the Sabbath. You know, chayav uh, mita has to be executed. Why? Why such a big crime? If he murder, we understand why. Even stealing, we can still understand why. But why a, a goy that observes Sabbath, he wants to do something like the Jews, why he deserves such a punishment? The answer is because Shabbat is a gift that Hashem gave to the Jewish nation. And on purpose, he did not want to give it to any other nation. You know, so what is it like? Let me give you an example. Let's say the king has 10 sons, and they are the princes. They have special crown. Everywhere they go, everyone bow down to them. Not because they're nothing. They're the son of the king. The father is an important thing. The prince is just a lucky boy. If the king gave his 10 children a special gift, like a special place, and somebody, a stranger, come and use it, that makes the king very angry. If every fool comes and uses it, what's the point of my prince? It's nothing. He became an ordinary person. Since the Shabbat was given to the Jews to show the whole world that the Jews are special people, that they have this holy covenant that they made with God, no Gentiles have permission to keep it. Unless if he's in the process of conversion in the Orthodox Jewish court. If he's already started the conversion, which means the base dean already gave him the material, the books, what to learn, and they schedule an, an appointment with him, and another appointment, and someone who's teaching him, etc., etc. Someone like this allowed to learn, and a Jew is allowed to teach him. Allowed to teach him. Why? Because already, that's it, he's on the way to be a Jew. Okay? Uh, I, I have to, to think to myself, if today, a goyim of today, if they keep Shabbat, if, are they really subject to this kind of penalty? Are they really subject to this kind of penalty? Uh, because we have to understand one thing. When Rish Lakish was speaking, he spoke about not just a goy. He spoke about ovet kochavim. Even though usually when the Gemara wants to speak about the goyim, they always title them as idols worshippers. Uh, today, not all the goyim are idols worshippers. For instance, the Arabs. An, an ordinary Arab believes in one God, doesn't believe in idols. If an Arab keeps Shabbat, I doubt that if he deserves an execution. However, Christians, it also depends. If it's a religious Christian, he believes in JC and keeps Shabbat, 
then he falls into this category. But if it's just a person that was born into Christianity, but he's not a, he's a secular Christian, he's not religious, doesn't believe in the New Testament and all that, and he keeps Shabbat, there is a very big doubt if somebody like this deserves execution. Remember, we are talking idol worshiper. Ovet Kochavim means someone who fa- or bow down to the stars or to any other idol. So let's move on. The Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, there's one more thing about the Goim. Ovet Kochavim, an idol worshiper who learns Torah, Chayav Mita has to be executed, just like Shabbat. Why? Torah is another gift, precious gift that God gave only to the Jews. If he wanted to give it to the Gentiles, he would gather everyone to Mount Sinai. Or give few, few times the Torah in Mount Sinai, in Saudi Arabia, in China. He would give it all over the world. Why he gathered the Jews to an isolated place that no one is around and gave them the Torah? He doesn't want anybody else to have it. Also, God made security protections to the Torah that even if the goyim will grab it, they won't know anything. They have the written scroll. Let's say a goy went to a synagogue and stole the Torah and want to be a Jew. Want to learn all the Torah. He won't be able to understand anything because this is the written Torah. The oral Torah is the main thing. He doesn't have it because it transfers from father to son and you need a specialist to teach you. You cannot learn oral Torah on your own. If you come to the Gemara and try to learn it on your own, I'll give you five million years. Maybe you will understand one line, maybe, on your own. I doubt it. There's no way to understand. You can only understand it if a specialist taught you what he was taught from his rabbi. And his rabbi taught him what he was taught from his rabbi until we go all the way up to Moshe Rabbeinu, back in history. No other way to, exp- to understand oral Torah. And remember, if you read in Shulchan Aruch, the laws, yeah, the laws are designed to be in a, in, a, in a simple language for every Jew to understand. Also, it's not the case. Even though today it's translated to English. What do you think? If an American goy will read it, he will understand what it means. There are terms over there that only Jews understand. They won't understand the term mukze. It's even written in Hebrew with English letters. They won't understand. Sometimes when I give lectures to the Hasidim, I use language that religious from birth people understand. And I get a lot of complaints from all my other listeners. This lecture was different than all your other lectures. Half of the words you are saying that we don't understand. And this is Jews. And of course, there's going also. This is Jews who are already religious, some of them. And they don't understand because they they're, not, they're not trained in this kind of language. So Hashem protected it. Also, he made it forbidden to write every, all the oral Torah in one book. He allowed different parts. You want to know about circumcision, what applies to it, what's the oral laws. You're allowed to write it. But if you want to put Shabbat next to it, that's already not allowed. You cannot put too much information. And even if a guy grabs it, he won't know how to circumcise. I mean, circumcise, if he got the, the, the information, yeah, well, he would know, but he won't know anything else. You understand? So this is the idea that Hashem did not want the Goim to have his Torah. But however, the same comments that I made before when it comes to Shabbat, if they deserve execution, we're talking about idol worshippers. Same thing over here. Ovet kochavim she'osek batorah. Not just a Goy. So that's why today I tell you, many people ask me this question hundreds of times in the past, Jews and non-Jews. Jews are asking me what Torah I'm allowed to teach to Goim. You know, if I go in my work and they are going listening, I like to talk, they, they're listening, they're learning. 
or goyim that listening to the lectures, they say, am I allowed to listen to the lectures? Because I heard in your lecture that you said uh, goy is not allowed to learn Torah. So the answer is, in general today, a goy that loves Hashem is not an idol worshiper. He likes to know, for instance, about the creation of the world. He can learn it in a Torah. Every general thing in a Torah is allowed to learn. He's allowed to learn. He, the Torah has also a lot of history. The Jews went to this country, and they had a war, and this, and Paro, and the exodus of Egypt, and the miracles of God. The goyim allowed to learn. What they are not allowed to learn is laws that apply specifically to Jews, like the laws of Shabbat, how you do this, cooking, klirishon, klisheni, muktzeh, blessing, this kind, bracha achrona, kazait, kabeitza, all these terms, which applies only to the life of a Jew, then this is already specifically to Jews. Every other general thing, like musar, like ethics, like pride, jealousy, they can learn. Hashem is interested that the goyim will be less angry. He's interested they'll be less jealous. He's interested they'll be less stupid. Uh, of course he's interested. So if they be intelligent, the more they know, the, the more civilized they're going to be. And obviously you can see that there's something you cannot prevent. The whole world, there are many goyim who knows the Torah very well. Christians, because they call it the part one, right? So they had to learn it. But even Muslims, no, none of them deny that Torah was given by God, and they're very curious to see what God has to say to the nation of Israel. Then the Gemara says, we learned last week about Ben Sorer Umore, a rebellious boy who rebelled against his father and mother, and uh, eat meat all day, drink wine, and then the Torah says that the parents has to turn him into the Jewish court, and they examine his case, and if he's guilty, they have to execute him while he's young before he will turn into a monster. Also, the Torah told us, Chazal, that something like this never happened even once in history. So it's really like a parable. It's like a mashal. No, never, we never ever got to a situation that a person became Ben Sorer Umore. Why? Let me explain to you the requirements. Rabbi Yossi Aglili says, he, he, he eats Tretemar basar, big chunk of meat, a big amount of meat, and half a log of wine, Italian wine. Why Italian wine? Today it's an expensive wine, but in the old days it was even more precious. The Torah says it has to be taken to Beidin and to be executed by stoning. The Torah was already predicting the end of such a person, such a boy, that is gonna start finishing the money of his parents for all his desires. And later, when the, the money of his father will be gone, he's gonna want to, uh, to get more money, so he's gonna become a robber and start stealing from people. And uh, everything, everything he's going to do will only become worse and worse. It's like a drug addict. He really doesn't wanna be a thief. But his desire to drugs is so strong, if he has to murder, he will murder. Why? It's not in full control anymore. He's addicted. All these addictions are very dangerous. So technically, really, really, everything that, it, that it's guaranteed to happen, then the Torah say, protect yourself from this person. If, not, if you don't kill him, he'll kill you. So if it's you or him, 
your life comes first. If there is a way to prevent him from hurting me without killing him, then of course it's an obligation. Don't have permission to kill him, it will be a murder. But if there's no other way to stop him from robbing people, from raping, from murdering, from turning Jews into the authorities, all kinds of things like this. Someone like this, if a person went and killed him, it's not a sin. You understand? But, of course, nobody can do on his own. You cannot just decide, oh, this person is an enemy of Israel, let me go kill him quietly, and I know it's a mitzvah. No, no, no. You need a verdict from the Jewish court that this person is a traitor, that this person, we have permission according to God's law to execute him. Even though today we don't have a way to execute people, nobody gets executed for his sins, but we are talking about what's the ultimate truth of God. The Torah says it's better he will die righteous, righteous, then he will turn bar mitzvah and turn into a monster that every sin, every second of his life will be a sin. Right? So it's better you bring him while he's young, before his bar mitzvah, they execute him and it's over. Uh, then the, the Torah continues, the Torah says like this, from here we learn that when the wicked people died is a blessing to the world. When righteous people died, it's a punishment to the world. But when the wicked people died, it's a blessing to the world and it's also a blessing for the wicked people. Because the person that is wicked really, really, is very lucky to die young. Because if he would live long life, he has much more to pay for now when he dies. Hashem has to sentence him for 60 years of sins. It's not like one year of sins. It's nothing to compare, right? So it's good for them. But it's not only to die, even when they go to sleep. Some parents, when they have a bad kid in the house, doing bad things, going with bad kids, doing all kinds of stealing, who knows? Every minute the police can call that he's arrested. So when he go into his room and sleep all day, the father makes sure that it's going to be very quiet, that he won't wake up, right? The more he sleeps, the less problem to us and to the world. Because when he's going to be out there with his gang, who knows who's going to be next? So as long as he sleeps, if you could give him a pill that he will wake up when he's 20, maybe he's going to be more mature. Believe me, without, would not hesitate a second. Just make him sleep for five years. Obviously, it's not possible. He needs to eat, needs to drink. But if there was a way to do it, that would solve so much problems with the youth. Since there's no way to do it, just hypothetically speaking. But when they finally go to sleep, the Torah says, Tov laem ve tov laolam. Good for them that they sleep, good for the world. But when the righteous people sleep, bad for them and bad for the world. Why? Because every moment they're up, they earn. Now they sleep, they don't earn. And the world is losing, and the world is in jeopardy. Because imagine if all the righteous people, instead of sitting, learning Torah and do good deeds, they're all going to go to sleep for the whole day. The world is in a major danger. Because the protection that they provide to the world doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and the Rabbi Yehuda says, in the name of Rav, something happened with a person that uh, he fell in love with a girl in his neighborhood. He has a nice girl in his neighborhood. And uh, he has this desire in his heart for this girl. So he came to his doctor. And uh, he said, the doctor told him, there's no cure for your problem. There's no cure. Whatever medicine I'm going to give you will not correct the problem. So he's completely depressed. He's in a mental condition. And the only way to save his life 
before he died from a broken heart is that if this girl will agree to be with him. So the, the, the doctors, they went to the rabbis to get permission, that they can write a, a permission for him to go with the girl. It's pikuach nefesh. The guy will die to save a Jew. Maybe the girl will agree. So the rabbi said, there's no question here. Better he died and she won't agree. So the doctor's thinking how maybe we'll have maybe we'll, we'll have another solution to the problem. So they come back to the rabbi and say, let's compromise. He won't really make a scene with her, but she will walk in front of him, not modest. So the rabbi answered, he better died and she won't walk not modest in front of him. Then the doctors came for the third time and they say, how about they talk? from two sides of the wall. He would be in one side of the wall, she would be in the other side of the wall. And uh, what we call today talk on the phone. How are you? You're very pretty. I wish you agreed to marry me. You know, a beautiful weather, whatever the case is. The rabbi's answer, better he die that she, that he and she won't talk to him from two sides of the wall. So the first two times, we get the point. A girl has to give her body for a person just because he died. Let him die. Well, it's not my problem. I don't have to give my life. It's, not a, it's a serious thing. Okay, so here we understand. Something like this, even ignorant people will come up with the same answer. No need to be a big rabbi for it to know. But the other two things, she walked not modest. Every person would say, of course, we will have to convince her to do it to save the life of a person. What's the question? But according to the Torah, let him die a hundred times and she won't walk not modest in front of him, one man. This is the answer to all the foolish women out there, our, our sisters all over, wherever they are, that walks naked on the street from morning to night almost all year round to attract the Yetzirah of all the guys on the street. All day when they shop, when they buy their clothing before they leave the house, all they have in their mind is how to make people look at me and take, give me attention and commit sins with me. Imagine the punishments they're going to get for every second of their life. Here, to save a life of a person, to walk one, two minutes in front of him, just for medicine, to save his life. The Chachamim say, let him die. Too bad. He's learning Torah, he's doing mitzvot, he's Shomer Shabbos. It's not a murderer that it's mitzvah that he should die. It's a religious person. See, he comes to ask permission from the rabbi if, if what the doctors want. It's legal or not. The answer is, let him die. But, whatever, but let me talk to you about the third thing. What's the big deal if they talk on the phone? We have religious youth today that have friends. They talk on the phone, unfortunately. So what's the big deal? The big deal is that once the Chachamim knows that he has one thing in his mind, she can talk to him about the weather and about the new train who came to Jerusalem. Do you think he cares about this? Every second he talks to her, he has one thing in his mind, and it's already a horrible scene from the Torah. You understand? So what's the solution? The solution is to send him to Zimbabwe. Maybe he live with the monkeys over there in the jungle, in the middle of the jungle, on the trees, throwing some coconuts, until he forget that there's women in the world. You understand? Or in the jungles of Brazil or whatever. Why, as long as he's in the neighborhood and she's around, he will never stop the scene. What's the solution? Send him away 
I don't know, hypnotize him. But definitely the girl doesn't have to sacrifice even her time to talk to him on the phone. The Gemara says like this. There's an argument between Rabbi Yaakov Barav, Idi, and Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani. One said, which girl they are talking about here? Single girl or a married man, a married woman? Single or married? What's the argument? Married, there's no question that oh, she's an eshet ish. What, she's going to go with another man just because he's about to die? There's nothing to talk about. The question is, if she's single, is this the opinion of the Torah also? What's the dilemma? Single girl, she can come quickly, get kiddushin from the guy, even if she doesn't love him. She's thinking, I'm saving a brother of mine from my nation. I'll be with him one night. Tomorrow I'll give me the divorce. And he won't die, because that's his medicine. To be with me at least once, that's what the doctor says. And I will relax his yetzerara. So what is the problem? That's the question now. Is this also forbidden? So this is the argument now. One say Esheti Shaita, we're talking about a married woman. One say Pnuyaita, single woman. Obviously, the Gemara says to the opinion that she was a married woman, then we understand the verdict of the rabbis. But to the opinion that she's a single woman, what's all this? It looks like a very strict verdict. There is a solution. That's the question here. It's not only her. It's also the reputation of the entire family. Something like this happened, you know, what's about her sisters? What about other, many people are going to be offended here. Rav Acha Rav Ika said, another reason, It will open the door to other women to start mixings like this. The nation of Israel, the girls are very holy girls. It's enough they see that the rabbis gave permission to a girl to be with him just to save his life. And from here, the way to total destruction will be very short. They only lived in this generation. They would not believe what's going on out there. Right? And the Gemara says, But wait a minute. Are we talking that they should get married? That's not going to be a sin. With getting married, everything official. Two witnesses, put a ring, a rat mekudeshetli, break the glass, whatever you want. Go tomorrow, they come back to us and we'll arrange divorce. So what's the big deal? She won't be able to marry a Kohen. That's it. She'll be a divorced woman. Right? The Gemara says, up to the generation when Bet HaMikdash was built, as long as it wasn't destroyed, the people had relation for the sake of heaven, not for the fun, not for the rabbi. I want to have fun in my life. After it was destroyed, the level of the people dropped so much that today they only have one thing in their mind, to make the scene. And because it's a scene, they enjoy from it. Get the point here. It's called Maim Gnuvim Im Taku. Stolen water are sweeter. And if you have a doubt, 
I'll prove to you. Take a guy that goes to Manhattan to a club, 12 o'clock at night, is going to hunt to make a scene. So he's going around like a radar, looking for a girl. Now he meets two twins, identical twins. Look at them, it's like duplication, copy machine. Same voice, same body, everything the same. Begin to talk to them, he's thinking to himself, which one, which one I ended up with? Two identical girls. Then he finds out one of them is married, one of them is single. Who is he attracted to more? Make a survey to the married one. How can it be? You have one allowed. I'm talking goy now, even a goy. Goy is a different story. Right away, has attraction to the one that is more seen. Why? A goy allowed to take the single girl. It's not a sin for him. Jew is not allowed. But a goy met her in a club, you can go and live with her. No problem. They don't need marriage, nothing. But the married one is a big sin even for a goy. So the goy, you see right away, he will have his mind on the married one. Also a Jew, single Jew. Both of them is a sin, but the married one is a much bigger sin. So he's attracted to the bigger sin. Same thing, a person bought a, gla a cup of uh, juice and he stole one in his pocket. Which one he enjoy more while he's drinking it? The stolen one that came to me for free. I didn't sweat for it. Ah, it's great. Psychologically, enjoy the sin more. Why is it? Because this is the way Hashem made the world, that Satan always pushed the people towards the sin. Whatever is a bigger sin, you go to the bigger sin. Allowed, not allowed, you go to the not allowed. Even if there's a little difference, both of them is sin. This is 90%, this is 91%. The 91% is more appealing to you. And this is it. That's why the rabbi told him, there's nothing to talk about. They get married, not get married. You think he's going to be with her tonight, even though they allow, the husband and wife. He's go they're going to be together. She's going to be with him, and he's going to be with her because they want to save life. Don't dream. Once they're going to get into the scene, everything will be 100% pure sin, and the nations of Israel have no permission to behave like animals. That's, but that's the conclusion of this sugiah in the Gemara towards to the end of uh, Masechet Sanhedrin. Kol Abaal Aramit, a person who had relation with a non-Jewish woman, keilu mitchaten ba'avodat kochavim. It's like dedicating himself to the idol worshipping. Wow, why? What's the connection? If a person met Christine, that she's not, uh, she's not an idol worshiper. She's not going to the church. She doesn't believe in JC, whatever. And he was with her and made a scene. What's the connection to idol worshiping? The Torah said, The Torah says, if a Jew had relation with the daughter of a foreign god, a false god, a daughter of a false god. So the Gemara say, the false god have daughters? Who are the false god? Even JC didn't have kids. JC didn't have kids. So why the Torah say, idols that made from wood and from stone, then we know they don't have kids. Trees don't have kids. The moon, the sun, the stars don't have kids. JC didn't have kids. Who did have? Do you know any god, any fake god in history that had children? We don't know. 
It's very interesting. Even anyone, even in, among the Jews, some Jews, I said in my previous lecture, they're worshiping an idol. Even this idol didn't have kids. It's very interesting. Any idol who was made by people never had kids. So I want to ask you a question. The Gemara asks, this one has a, the, 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 the stranger god, the god of the goyim, they have a, they have a daughter. Why the Torah say, Uva'al bat el nechar? The Torah say, no, that's talking about she belongs to the nation of that fake god. Aboel Aramit, Kanaim Pogimbo, a Jew that make a sin with a non-Jewish woman, according to the Torah, someone who is zealous to Hashem has permission to kill him instantly. And he doesn't have a trial. Not only it's not a sin, it's going to, be a, to get a huge reward. Where we learn it from? Pinchas. Pinchas saw Zimri ben Salu and Kozvi Batsur, the president of the tribe of Shimon, brought a princess, Goya, you know, and brought her into his house. Everyone demonstrate outside and crying, and even Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what to do. Pinchas took a, not a sword, how do you call a romach? You know, like the Romans used to have in a war. It's this big thing. Spear, spear. He took a spear and he ran inside and stuck it to both of them together when they were connected. And he brought them out in front of everyone. And Hashem said, I'm giving him my covenant for peace and giving him a blessing. He's going to be a Kohen. Gives him all, all the blessing. So what do we see from here? How serious and how severe is the sin of being with a, with a non-Jewish woman? Very big sin. And not to talk about marry her and be with her for 20 years or whatever. Usually those marriages don't last. Almost always they break up very quick. But sometimes they do less. And if they do, uh, the longer they are, the worse the situation of that Jew is. And also the Goya, the non-Jew, will also get extra punishment. Why? Because even though a non-Jewish girl can go out and do whatever she wants, they don't have holiness like the Jewish girls, because she participated in the destruction of the eternity of a Jew, she automatically will be punished, just like the trees and the, and the rocks. Remember before? Why the tree has to be destroyed? Because some foolish guy bowed down to this tree. What's the tree's punishment? Why? The answer is a guy that bowed down to this idol is going to be punished severely. And it doesn't make God happy that he has to punish this goy. Because the goy is going to be punished severely, and it's, the tree has something to do with that, get rid of the tree or that idol. Nevertheless, if it's a living person that have a free choice, who participate in a sin. Which from here we learn something very interesting. The goyim that make Jews make sins will pay for it. And Jews that make goyimic sins also pay for it. Which means if a Jew influence a goy to make a sin, right? Then the, the Jew ha, is called lifnei iver lotiten michshol. Lifnei iver between two Jews, we all know. If you bring pork to another Jew and you put it in his plate and he eats it, because he's very hungry, you put the temptation in front of him, you became a part of his sin. If you influence him to rob a bank, you drove him and waited outside. He's the robber, not you. Since you are participating in a sin, or you open your store on Shabbos, and people come and buy by you, they take money, they pay, they eat, they, they do all kinds of things, they carry the food on the street, 
It's your fault. You're paying for their sins as well. What happens if a Jew makes a goy bow down to an idol, which means uh, the Maharishi from India come to Isaac the Jew, who is an artist, and tell him, make me a beautiful Buddha, make him red, make him this, make him that. He gives him instruction. And this Isaac made for him the Buddha, and now this Maharishi bow down to this stupid idol every day. Every sin he makes, because that's against the laws of the Goim. The Goim not allowed to worship idols. Every time the Goim make a sin, the Jew has a share in it. Why? Because he supplied him with what he needed. If he gave him a, a, a necklace with a cross, for instance, it's not a sin, because the cross is not the idol. But if JC is hanging on the cross, that's already a problem, because then they do bow down to it and kiss it. But if just a cross, it's like a, a symbol. Symbol is nothing. Is a, they, for them, is a jewel, more or less, you know? But you have to know. Also, I'll give you a different example. For instance, sometimes we see a Jew uh, made a Christian woman or Goya pregnant, and of course, he doesn't want that baby. It's a big embarrassment for him. He's not married, and he cannot marry her. So he takes her to make an abortion, and he pays all the expenses. This is murder, 100% murder. First of all, even though the, the boy, the kid, is not a Jew, once the woman is non-Jewish, the kid is always non-Jewish. So since this is a non-Jewish kid, boy or girl, doesn't matter. So the, thing, the guy said, well, anyway, it's not my son. According to the Torah, I have nothing to do with him, except biological DNA, but there's nothing else. Spiritually, his soul and my soul from two different worlds. And when I die and she die, and this boy will die, I don't have any connection with them. We all go to different things, to different worlds. So who cares? Let her kill him. So the answer is, if he convinced her to do it, and she didn't want to make an abortion, but he forced her or convinced her or put pressure on her, and he supplied her with the money and take her to the hospital and wait for her, you know, and read outside Tehillim that the whole procedure will be successful, somebody like this is a big criminal. First, he made a horrible scene of being with the Goya, and now he participated in a murder. So what's the solution? The solution is to tell her, do whatever you think is right for you. you cannot tell her, kill the kid. It's a murder. If she murdered the kid, it's her problem, not yours. And even that, it stinks. It smells bad to do such a thing. However, if the kid will be born, this person, even if he become Baal Shuva, he has a sign of his sin walking in the street for the next 50, 70 years. There's nothing you can do. You make tshuva, this guy is walking around. It's a big thing, very big problem. And one day, this kid will get up to an age and he's going to ask the mother question, who is my father? Where is he? Where is this father? And what's going to happen? This father, in the meantime, became a rabbi, sitting, is becoming a tzaddik. He's sitting on Shabbos Friday night in a meal with his wife and children. Shalom Aleichem. All of a sudden, yes, who is there? Sean. Sean? Who is Sean? Open, it's important. Can't go open. Father. Earring, tattoos, this, Bob Marley, Rasta, you know, coming like this inside. Ah, Father, I finally discovered you. The father with the beard and the peot, <laughs> and now he already became Hasid Breslev. He puts this fair hat, all the children Hasidish like this, singing Smiros of Shabbos. Sean showed up. 
shown is the fruit of the sin my father made 20 years ago. Believe me, I made a joke out of it, but it's 100% correct and it happens every day. There's not one day that things like this don't happen. Not necessarily show up in the middle of Shabbos, but believe me, it can even show up in Yom Kippur in the middle of Tefillat Neila. You understand? You stand in shul, he comes to the house, where is my father? One of the kids doesn't know. It's crazy. My father is in a synagogue. <laughs> I was looking for you 20 years. How come you left me? How come you never came to visit? Yes, but, but, but in the morning we say, but do, you know, don't remind us of our sins from our past. We say that also. That First of all, we do say it, but that, that doesn't mean we won't be remember our sins. Well, you, you don't go to places and you see, oh, in this place I made a horrible sin. Just because you are Hashem, don't remind me of my sins. But it happens, it's reality. If a person brought a mamzer to the world, and now he became very religious, he still has to feed the boy, still have to sit with him, still have to eat dinner with him, still have to give him money, he's paying for his school. There's no way to avoid it. No way. If the boy or the girl one day die, even when they become old, then the repentance conclude. But as long as he's alive, the repentance is not complete. The rule is that when a person made a sin, as long as the impression of the sin stayed in the world, the repentance that that Jew made is not complete. And there's many ways to learn it, many places, but I'll give you one, one proof for it. You know, Menashe was the son of King Hizkiyahu, and he was a very big sinner. He made idols all over the land. And uh, his father is so in his vision that he's going to have such wicked son. He, never wa he didn't want to get married. In the end, Hashem sent him the prophet Ishayahu and convinced him to get married. He married his daughter. Many years later, Menashe was already the king, and he put idols all over the land. And then the Goim captured him, and they wanted to kill him. They put him inside a bowl with fire was burning and he screamed to all these uh, idols and none of them of course helped. And in the end, he screamed to Hashem, Hashem, I know if you're there, if you're listening to me, if you get me out of my situation, I promise you I'll be religious, I'll make tshuva. And Hashem saved him. And in the end, he really made tshuva. Then he died. So the Gemara says, where does it say that Menashe made tshuva? In what book? What book was written in a generation of Menashe? What book? Melachim, kings. Kings who wrote it? Yirmiyahu, Prophet Yirmiyahu. Prophet Yirmiyahu was the one after Yeshaya, and he lived in a generation. In the generation of Yeshaya, Menashe was wicked. When the new Prophet Yirmiyahu came, Menashe already became tzaddik, made tshuva. Why Yirmiyahu never wrote that Menashe became righteous? Where we find that Menashe became righteous? Many, many years later, in Divrei Ayamim, in the end of the Tanakh. Divrei Ayamim, it's conclusion of the history. Why, why it's on the, why, Divrei Ayamim, why so late? Why? The answer is because Yirmiyahu couldn't write it. Yirmiyah wrote what Hashem told him, and Hashem didn't want to write in, a, in, a, in a Kings that Menashe made repentance. Why? The idols that he put in Israel are still there. 
They didn't clean all of them yet. Not a, who cares about Menashe? You put the idols for Hasir. Now you want to be religious? Leave us alone. We want to continue with this. He couldn't clean the whole land. He cleaned whatever he could. But there are still idols there. If your bad impression still live and kicking, you're not 100% clean yet. But many years later, once all these idols disappeared and were clean from the land, they wrote in a Tanakh that Menashe made tshuva. Same thing over here. You have a mamzer, you have a goy boy that you brought him to the world. As long as he's there, your tshuva is not perfect. It's a problem. Problem. We're lucky that there is tshuva. Imagine after, without tshuva, what could we do? The Gemara says, Alach shifto shel Shimon etzel Zimri ben Salu. The tribe of Shimon went to Zimri and he told him, Amrulo, em danim dine nefashot vata yoshef veshotek? It says like this. It says, they sitting and uh, judging life and death, and you sitting here and not making a beep? He got up and gathered 24,000 people from the nation of Israel. You, you, you have to be somebody important that you're able to gather 24,000 followers, no? It's not like today, you have Facebook. In two months, you can have 24,000 fans just because you make a stupid song and everyone press like. This is a primitive days. You have to influence 24. He's, a, he's the head of the tribe of Shimon. He was an important person. So he brings 24,000 from Israel and go to Cosby. Cosby. This Goya that he made a sin with. He told the Rishamili. He told him, come and make a sin with me. She told him, I'm a princess. I'm a daughter of a king. And my father said to me, don't ever make a sin with just another simple person. If you do it, do it with the top of the pyramid. Which means, like today, if, uh, if there's a very rich man and his daughter comes to him and says, Abba, I met this shoe-shine guy in a subway, a shining shoes, and he want to be my boyfriend. What's the father's going to say? If you talk to him one more time, I cut you out of my will. But if she comes and says, Abba, uh, this uh, NBA star wants to be my boyfriend, the best player in the league. Wow, this is so happy, no? Because people are fake. They, all, they want to show off. Same thing her father told her. Listen, don't forget, you're a princess. If you ever get a guy, make sure he's the top, right? So she, said, she told her, don't worry. I'm a president of the tribe. I'm one of the biggest. I'm not just another person. Shimon, right? It says, it says to So he took her with her hair, hold her hair, and brought her, he brought him to Moshe. He say, Moshe ben Amram, son of Amram, this woman allowed or not allowed? She's a Goya. And if you're going to answer me that she's not permitted, how do you, how, who gave you permission to marry the daughter of Yitro, Jetro? She was also Goya, Tzipora. Yitro was a Goy, the Pope. 
the number one idol worshiper, the priest of the, the generation. But he made tshuva. So Moshe didn't answer. Why Moshe didn't answer? You know, when, it's, when you're involved with something, it's very difficult. Because no matter what you're going to say, eh, say, what are you telling me? You're allowed and I'm not allowed. And everyone was crying that he disrespect Moshe like this, and Moshe couldn't answer. Everyone standing next to oil moed, to the tent, and crying. Pinchas ben Elazar, Pinchas was standing there, furious. What did he see, the Gemara says? He remembered the halacha in the Torah. What's the halacha? The brother of my father, he says to him, didn't you teach us when you came down from Mount Sinai that when a Jew makes a sin with a non-Jewish woman, the zealous has permission to kill him on the spot? Now, what's the difference between a person that is Kanai Hashem, zealous, to an ordinary righteous Jew? They both keep mitzvot, they both love Hashem, they both pray, they both learn Torah. But one allowed to kill him, and the other one, if you kill him, he will be a murderer. What's going on here? If you are in the level that every sin that a person does, you feel the pain like Hashem is feeling, then you have permission. You're like Hashem in this case. Make the, make the revenge, make the, the, the justice. But if you're not in this level, maybe you have personal things with this guy, Ego, honor, uh, possession, whatever, position, whatever, I don't know. You're not allowed, because you could be a suspect. What is it like? Like uh, two husband and wife that got divorced, and then the wife comes to testify that her husband, she suspects that he's the murderer of some case. And you take a testimony from her. She wants to see him buried for the embarrassment he caused her. Can I take a testimony from her? Even if it's a very convincing story, you cannot, she cannot be a witness. She's not uh, objective. Same thing over here. If uh, one of the people, the member of the shul that you hate, you saw him doing something and you can't give a testimony, a clever judge would listen to you. He said, bring other witnesses. I want to hear it from different sources. Otherwise, you've got to be very skeptic if it's possible to even uh, take your testimony. You understand why is it? Because a person has to be, now if a person is known, known as a zealous person, and he doesn't care, I'll give you an example. There's one big rabbi in Israel, one of the top chief rabbis in Israel, I don't want to say his name because it's on a video, but uh, he spoke against Whigs, spoke in his lecture against the horrible custom that people put all these non non-modest wigs and it's against the Torah and these religious women make themselves horrible problems. As he's speaking in front of a very large audience, one fool got up and he said to him, excuse me, Rabbi, I saw your daughter-in-law wearing a wig. So he told him, there is enough place in hell for her also. Right away, without hesitation. And she sits in the Shabbos table and eat with him with his son. Say to him right in front of everyone, the cameras, in front of everyone. What do you think? Because she's my daughter-in-law, she's exempt from the punishment? 
she is going to be the first one to go there, to go there according to his psak, that is completely forbidden. This is a zealous person. You cannot bribe him with money, with fame, with position, with who knows what. 100% to the truth. Then if you see a Jew make a sin with his goya and he killed him, it's not a murder, it's a mitzvah. But any one of us, of course we don't have permission. And also, you know, by the way, you should know, there's laws when you're allowed to kill him and not. You're only allowed to kill them when, when they are connected physically. If they're a minute before or a minute after, or if you came to kill him and he got up and, and disconnected from her, then you don't have permission to kill him anymore. You can only connect them in the second that is in the middle of the scene. If you stop the scene, don't have permission to kill him. You killed him once he got up or disconnected from her, it's a total murder. You kill him a second before he's doing it, it's also a murder. You have to push him, you have to grab him, to fight with him, not to let him do the scene, yes. But if you call him connected, you kill him, and that's the end of it. And that's what Pinchas did, and Pinchas got the, 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 the privilege of having one chapter in the Torah named after him. And it says, Hashem says, I'm giving him my peaceful covenant, a blessing for eternity, for him and for his children. We can, we can sweat 80 years keeping mitzvot all our life. We didn't get what Pinchas got in one minute of act, the, the, the blessing that he got. Amar Abiyosi, in the beginning, there were not too many arguments between the Chachamim of Israel in halacha, in the law. There was a, a Jewish court of 71 rabbis sitting in Sanhedrin in Lishkat Gazit in Bet HaMikdash, and two other Jewish courts of 23 rabbis in each one of them sitting in the gate of Harabait, the Mount Temple. And, the, and then there are three other Jewish courts sitting in the rest of the cities of Israel. If a person has a question, a complicated halacha, Ordinary halacha, ordinary laws, you can ask your local rabbi in a shul. But something serious, very serious matter. He asked the court of his place, the, one of the three courts in the rest of Israel. If they know, they tell him the law. If not, they go to the one next to his. Remember, there's, there's courts in the cities. So they ask from different courts. If they know, they have to say. If not, they go to the one now in the mount, in the temple mount, in the entrance to the temple mount, they ask over there. If they don't know, then they go to the 71, which is Sanhedrin, which is the top scholars, the biggest Talmidei Chachamim, some of them are prophets. And they sit there, mitamit shel shachar, from the sacrifice of the morning from sunrise until the evening, until sunset. The mincha and shachrit that we pray every day, shachrit and mincha, shachrit is for the sacrifice of the morning, and mincha is for the sacrifice before it becomes dark. So they sit from the beginning of the service until the sunset. So you have plenty of hours to go. What about Shabbat and Yom Tov? And the Yoshvim Bachel, in a different place. Nishala she'ela bifneem, if they heard the question, if they know they answer. If, if, if there's arguments in Sanhedrin, they make a vote. This is what the Torah says, you have to follow the majority. That's why they are 71 and not 70, not to have a draw. 
So after they vote, let's say 40 say allowed, and 31 say not allowed, this is the law from now on. Okay, that's, how the, that's what Hashem says in the Torah, how to clear all the doubts. If most of them say impure, it's impure. Most of them say it's pure, it's pure. After Ilel and Shammai funded their yeshivas, when they were alive, they knew to clarify all the doubts to their students. Once they had many, many, many students, the arguments began, starting to argue about almost every law. Now, nah, this is what it means, this is what it means, this is allowed, this is not allowed. And the Torah started to look like two different Torahs. And everyone has different opinions. Not to talk about today. Today it's much worse than then, right? Misham kotvim v'sholchim mikol mekomot kol mishu chacham u'shfal berech v'dat abriot nochay menu yed dayan b'iro. So after that, they saw that anyway there's so many arguments, so they, they said, in every city, there will be someone that is very big in Torah, is very honest, very humble, everyone loves him. He will be the main judge of the place. Don't come anymore. Anyway, there's so many arguments here. Do it in your own place. And this is what it's called, Aselech Harav, the Chiyo Rabbi. It's called Mara Deatra, the rabbi of the place. The rabbi of the place, he is the rabbi that is in charge of the questions that the people in his area or in his community today they have the answer. Now you may ask, but how can it be that each one give a different answer? The answer is, it's a problem. It's a result of the exiles that Hashem spread us all over the world. Remember, there was no communication. There's no media, no radio, no telephone, nothing. So when you learn the Torah, it's very deep. Sometimes you come up with this answer and it comes with a different answer. But the rule is that the Torah said, and when it's going to be an argument, you won't know who's right, you will have to follow the majority. So the Torah already prepared the medicine in case there will be a sickness. The Torah says there will be an argument, which means it's possible. Don't be panicking. doesn't matter. From here we learn something very, very, very problematic, very sensitive. What are we learning here? That it's... Today, when we follow halacha, we do not know 100% that this is the original way that Hashem wanted it. We don't know. Because you see, that's too big rabbi. One say allowed, one say not allowed. It cannot be both of them right. It's either right or he's right. But it really doesn't matter. This is the secret here, Paul. That Hashem say, I know it's going to be cases like this. There will be arguments in halacha. And I'm giving you the rules what to do. So the rules are continuing constantly to do my wish, right? If I have two sons, and I know I'm going to ask a question, and each one will say the opposite of the other, right? So now it's draw. But if I have three, I tell them, whenever you have an argument, make a vote. If two of you say to do, and one say no, always you have to do what the two says. And my kids want to follow my instructions. So they do what the two says. Doesn't mean that that's what I really wanted if I was alive. Maybe if you ask me, I would, I would rather that they do like the single one, but it doesn't matter anymore because they follow my instructions. If I come back after five years to town and I check what they did, 
And many of the things that they did, if they asked me if I was around, I would tell them to do like the single guy. But now I would compliment them and give them my reward. Why? Because they follow my instructions. What? I told them always follow the majority. And they did. Not necessarily that what they did is really what Hashem wanted. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because we are not Hashem. We are human. And humans have their own opinions and their own understanding. And it creates conflicts, especially in, uh, with the problems that we had in, uh, in the exile. That so many tragedies and the goyim destroy us after us. That's what's happening. But when Mashiach comes, what's going to happen? All these arguments and disagreements and doubts will all be cleared. And everyone would know exactly what Hashem wanted. But right now, remember, if Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet, come and say to you, you know this law that you're doing? This is really not what Rabbi Yosef Karo wrote in Ishulchan Aruch. Here I can show you the original copy. The printers, a generation after, misprint something. They forgot one word. It say en la'asot, and it's erased the word en, and it say la'asot, to do. It said not to do, the word not was erased. Here I show you. We're not allowed to listen to him. En We do not determine the halacha based on people's dreams. We do not determine the halacha based on a prophecy. Someone who come and say, you know, Hashem told me there's no more prophets anymore in the last 2,000 years. We do not determine the halacha based on uh, rumors or all kinds of things like this. Even a person die clinical death and came back to life after 10 minutes and say, no, I had, a, I had a trial in heaven and Hashem yelled at me, why did you do this on Shabbat? And I said, what do you mean? My rabbi in his book, he allows it. And they told me, no, it's Chilul Shabbat and he comes back. We, don't, we are not required to change the book of law. Why? We are only required to follow the laws of the halacha, which means the Torah said there's a doubt. This is what it's written. Hazaka, that this is what's the original writing, and that's it. Well, that's why we're waiting for Mashiach so much. The Torah says, And after these things, Hashem tested Abraham. The, Torah, the Gemara asks, what does it mean after these things? After what? We're coming now to Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. We're going to read these things. Now you're going to understand what we're going to read soon. After what? Amar Rabbi Yochanan in the name of Rabbi Yossi ben Zimra, after what the Satan said, after the words of the Satan, what did the Satan say? The Torah says, The boy grew up and matured. Amar Satan lifna Kadosh Baruchu, the Satan said in front of Hashem, Master of Universe, this old man. 99 years waited for a boy. It's, I'm talking about Abraham and Yitzchak. He didn't have a kid. He was 99 years old. Sarah was 90. And Hashem sent the angel to tell her next year you're going to have a kid. And, and we all know the rest. So the Satan comes to Hashem to talk against Abraham Avinu. A brave guy. So he comes to Hashem and says, You gave him a boy when he was 100 years old. He gave him the news, 99. When he was born, he was 100. And from every meal he ever did, he never remembered to sacrifice to you even a little, a little bird. 
Bird is a sacrifice of the poor people. Sheep is a sacrifice of the rich people. Some people that are completely poor, even a bird they cannot afford, so they bring solid with shaman, with oil, mixed with oil, which is very, very cheap. Like in our days, a sheep costs $300, a dove maybe $10, maybe, and the solid maybe $1. You understand? So both of them are sacrificed, all three of them, but one is different than the other, based on the financial tax return of the guy. Today we had Beta Mikdash, and a guy comes with Mercedes and bring a little jar with solid. I tell him, you're not embarrassed, you come with this Mercedes and you're bringing a one dollar sacrifice, go bring Maher a sheep. Go to Shuk Machane Yehuda, go buy a sheep. So he said, no, no, look, look at my last year. Wall Street crash, I got fired. This Mercedes is from three years ago, I bought it cash. Believe me, some days I don't have money to put gas in a car. It happens to people. Look at my tax return, I only lost this year. You understand? So that's, that's really true, it could be very poor. But this is it. So the Satan said to him, even a bird he didn't bring. It's a millionaire, Avraham Avinu, very rich. He said to him, everything he did, he did for his son. Hashem said to him, listen good, you do not know who is this guy, Avraham Avinu. If I come and tell him, the son that I gave you, I want you to sacrifice him to me, he does it without hesitation. You telling me he didn't sacrifice a bird to me? You don't, you don't know who is this righteous man? And right away, Hashem proved to him. He came to Avraham, take your son, your only son that you love, to the Moriah mountain and sacrifice him, whatever, okay. Amar Rabbi Shimon Baraba, enna ela lashon bakasha. What does it mean, kachna? Take, please. Usually Hashem doesn't talk like this when he talks to people. Take, please. Hashem say, take, or don't take, or be careful. You should do, you should not do. No, if you feel like it. Don't find that many, you do it if you like. Over here is, it's your permission. It's your choice. I'm asking you, please take him. He could have said, no, I don't want to take him. You promised me a boy. You kept your promise. I'm, I'm not giving him up. And it wouldn't be seen. It wouldn't be seen. I hold against you what you promised me. I'm not making up a lie. You told me, don't worry, your son will inherit you. Eliezer, your servant, will not take away all your wealth. You will have your own son. Now you're coming and tell me to kill him or you're fooling me? No, I'm sorry, you're the God of justice. You cannot back up on your world. And believe me, Hashem couldn't punish him because Hashem is really the God of justice. But that's why he told him, Kachna, please take. And he didn't hesitate. Got up early in the morning. Everyone asked, how did he have the head to sleep? Tomorrow you're going to kill your only son after a hundred years he waited and now you're taking him to die? So he went to sleep. And... He didn't tell him what time. He could have kept him until eight in the evening. Another day to hug him, to kiss him, to eat breakfast with him, to eat lunch, to invite all the relatives, everyone make a party, goodbye to him. Enjoy with your son another day, no? Why do you rush to kill him? It's five in the morning, you're already on the way with the donkey to the mountain. From here we learn there's mitzvah to do Brit Mila right away, not to wait for the guest. Pray early in the morning, right after that to start. Why? Zrizim makdimim la mitzvot. People who love Hashem, 
זריזים, rush, they rush to do the מצווה, they don't hesitate and sit and wait, right away. Many people don't know that even if they pray arvit late, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, really the obligation to say Shema comes right after the stars appears. Even if you have another hour until Arvit. You have to do Shema right away. Why? It's an obligation for the Torah. I was supposed to say it today, for instance, around 8. Why are you waiting for 10? Wasting two hours. The time arrived already. Do it right away. So everyone, you know, I'm going to Daven Arvit at 10. So I say Shema inside my prayers. But really, you should say right away. Also, if a person, for instance, is forced, cannot go to shul until late, sunrise arrives, and if he's up, he has to say Shema right away. Even though he knows he's going to pray before the end of Kriyat Shema, Lechatchila, to begin with, he has to say, as soon as sunrise arrives. Right away. Why? Why are you waiting two more hours? The mitzvah came. You have to show Hashem you care, you love it, you wait for it, you can't wait. The nonsense that we have in our life today, as soon as the time comes, right away we do it. Right, can't wait for your sin. But when the time for the mitzvah comes, ah, I have another three hours, no rush. Let's sit and eat and drink my coffee, read the news, you know, all kinds of things. So, Amar Rabbi Shimon Baraba, nah, it's a request, it's not an obligation. Hashem said to Avraham, I tested you in few tests and you've passed all of them. Now pass this test that all the people will justify what I said that you're the most righteous person. Nobody will have doubt. Take your son. Avraham answered, I have two sons. He has Ishmael from Hagar, from the Goya. He said, no, Yechidcha, you have only one. One. Why? Avraham answered, this is one from one wife, and this is one from one wife. Which one? He didn't tell him it's yet. He said, the one you love. And he said, I love both of them. Hashem said, it's Yitzchak. Which means, it's very interesting here. Hashem told him, take your son, your only son. Why? The one who came from the Goya is not your son. The one who came from Sarah is your son. But Abraham didn't know it yet. Why? Because there was no Torah yet. He didn't get the Torah yet. He think, this is my son, this is my son. So he said to him, the one you love, he should have loved him, not him. Why? Not because he's a Goy. He didn't know it yet. He didn't know yet. Why he should love Yitzchak more than him? Because Yitzchak is righteous and he's wicked. He, when he was 13, Yitzchak was born when he was 13 years old. He was already idols, worshiper, a rapist, a murderer, all kinds of things he's doing. Hunter, definitely not an ideal son, especially not in those days, right? But he still love him. Pere Adam, he's the father of all Arabs. What does the Torah say about him and his children? Wild beast. Pere Adam, Pere means wild. Rai, wild. Adam means person. Wild beast. The Satan come to him in a way when Avram is going to the mountain. It says, The Satan comes and tells him, You speech to the whole world not to kill their kids and throw them to their fake gods. 
Now you're going to kill your only son. What are they going to say? All the work that you did will go down the drain. Abraham said, I'm innocent. I'm doing what I was instructed. I don't ask questions. Your God-fearing behaving is your stupidity. It's not something you deserve to be praised for. Amar le, kach shamati meachore apargod. I heard the Satan told him that Hashem meant to do a sacrifice with a goat, not Yitzchak for a goat. Se leola, ve'en Yitzchak leola. Amar lo, this, Abraham answered, this is the punishment of the liars. Even when he comes and says the truth after, you cannot believe him anymore. Like, why, why are you lying? Hashem told me Yitzchak. Now you're telling me he was a goat? Rabbi Levi says, What does it mean after these things Hashem tested Abraham? After what Ishmael was telling Yitzchak. Ishmael told Yitzchak, I'm greater than you. In the mitzvot that you were circumcised when you were eight days old. It wasn't your choice, your little innocent baby. I was circumcised when I was 13. I agreed. They had to ask my permission. And I agreed, even though it's much more painful. You, nobody asked you. They made it for you. You don't deserve the same credit like me. Amar lo, Yitzchak told him, Be'evar echad atamegarebi. You are praising yourself from one organ in your body. Im amar li akadosh baruchu, if Hashem will tell me not only to be circumcised in one of my organs in my body, to be completely circumcised in my whole body, to become sacrificed, I would love to do it for him. Right after that, Hashem sent the message to Abraham after Yitzhak said it. By the way, you should know that whatever comes out of our mouth determined our next, life, next test in life. Next test in life. And I see it every night when I say something in a lecture. Hashem sent me the text the next day. <laughs> the next day. Sometimes when it comes out of the mouth, I already know what's going to happen already. And it's always like this. And not only me, every person is like this. You come and give somebody something, expect a test on that thing. You understand? You tell them, don't do this. Wow, you're not embarrassed of yourself. The next day you have the same scenario and sometimes even worse. And more, usually you always fail. And then you come to Hashem and say, you had the nerve to tell him why he's doing this when you do much worse. This is a gift. So Yitzchak opened up his mouth. Hashem said, okay, let's see if you really, David HaMelech said to Hashem, I want to be the fourth wheel of your carriage. You have Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, you're missing one more, car one more wheel. Make me the wheel. Hashem said, no, you don't deserve to be the wheel. He said, why? He said, because they were tested and passed the test. You did not have a test, a major test in life. So David HaMelech said, test me. Right after that, he see beautiful Batsheva standing on the roof. And the rest is history. To be tested, it's not so simple. We, we have tests, but you know, according to our retarded level, we are like in kindergarten, you know, 
imagine us like a few retarded kids in special aid. We don't understand anything. So Hashem send us a test in our level, a little bit less parnasai, begin to cry. Make a million dollar a year. Now he went down to 800,000. He doesn't sleep at night. Moshe, what happened? You look very nervous. Business is not good. Rabbi, what should I do? I check my Every little thing, a person is already shaking. He couldn't find shiduch, that, all kinds of things. He goes crazy. But people in a very high level, they have very big tests. Very big tests, wow. Sometimes it's a matter of thousands of people would be influenced with this test or not. It's no, no big deal. It's a very big deal, I mean. The Gemara says, Shebao Bnei Afrika Ladun. This is a beautiful Gemara. We have, I know time is running out, but we'll finish this page and that's it. Shebao Bnei Afrika Ladun in Israel Lifnei Alexandros Mokdon. When the African people came to a trial with the nation of Israel in front of Alexandros Mokdon. Alexandros Mokdon was a Greek leader who occupied the whole world, and now he owned all the world. He has uh, Caesar, governors in every place. And now once he's become the top authority, everyone who has an argument, they have to come to him. Like today, like United Nations or something like that. So now the Africans are suing Israel in, in the court of Alexandros Mokdon. What are they claiming? Eretz Knan Shelanu. We own Knan. We are the Knanim. We were here in your book. It says that we were sitting there and you came and stole it from us. Dichtiv Eretz Knan Nikvulotea. And the Knan Avun Danu Inchiava. So they say Knan was, was our father. We are from his children. So. The rabbis, they got invitation to come to court to defend their land. So there used to be a person, Gviha ben Psisa. Short, looked like a clown a little bit. Doesn't look like a top authority. So he came to the rabbi and said, give me permission, I'll go represent us in the court of, of Alexandros Mokdon. So if they win, Say, ah, oh, this guy is our biggest fool. What? He's not a good lawyer. If I win, you said the Torah won. But if I lose, you say, ah, oh, this guy is a clown. Forget about him. Look how I look, you know. They see right away. I'm not, I don't make impression. So they gave him permission, so he left. So he came and said, tell me, where did you bring your proof from that this land belongs to you? They say from the Torah, from your book, from the Torah. It says, oh yeah, what does it say in the Torah? The Torah said that we were sitting there before you came from Egypt and you stole the land from us. He said to them, okay, I will bring you a proof from the same source, from the Torah. Hashem say, Arur Knan. Knan is cursed. The nation of Knan are cursed. They should be slaves to their brothers. <laughs> a, a slave, according to this Torah. Everything he bought, everything he found on the street belongs to his master. The Torah said that we are your master. Give us the land that you have right now also. <laughs> so, 
He said to him, and you have to pay us compensation from all the years that you ran away to a different country and you did not serve us like slaves, as the Torah said that you have to do. They ran away quickly from the court. They never saw them ever again. Yeah, of course, they asked for three days to come up with the answer, like the priest that I debated. I said, I'm here. Come back to me. I asked him 50 questions. He never came back with one answer yet. None of them come back with an answer because they just don't have an answer. Miyad Baruchu, they ran away quickly. They were so afraid that the Alexandros Mokdon will give the Jews what they, what they want now because now, now it's, they have a serious problem. So they left their field that they were all already seeded. It's seeded with all kinds of uh, wheat, barley, whatever and the vineyards, everything, and there was Shnach Vi'it. And all the Jews came to their land and got all the grapes and all the wheat. There was a great year, because in Israel, there's not, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to plow the ground or to cut uh, grapes, because Shnach Shmitad, every seven years. So that year was a very, very blessed year in Israel. Tons of fruit, tons of vegetables, everything for free, after this trial. Then, the, the Egyptian, the Egypt people came to sue the Jews in the court of Alexandres Mokdon. Today they call it the Hag, the court in Hag, international court. But it used to be the court of Alexandres Mokdon. They told him, He says like this, In your Torah it says that you borrowed the gold and the silver and all the jewelry from us. Borrowing means you have to return. It wasn't a gift. Please return to us everything that you stole from us with interest. Gvia ben Psisa asked permission to go. You already have good record there. So they gave him permission, go. He said, if they'll win me, you say the same thing I told you. If not, okay. Then he went and he said to him, tell me, where you bring your proof? They said, from the Torah. He told them, I'm also going to bring you a proof from the Torah. What? It says that the nation of Israel sat in Mitzrayim 30 years and 400 years. This is from the time that Jacob went to Egypt, before the slavery, 430 years. The slavery was 210 years. And he says, give us the salaries of 600,000 men who was working by you every day, every hour, multiply by all the years of slavery. <laughs> Trillions of dollars in those days, right? Alexandros Mogdon say, answer the claim. They say, give us three days. They ran away. Then, Then the Arabs came, Ishmael. The Arabs came to Alexander and Mokdon, and they say, listen, uh, we want to sue the nation of Israel. What? We own the land. Just like today, the Arabs came and they want the land. Not the first time. 2,000 years ago it happened. A little more than that, yeah? So he said to them, the Jews told them, where are you bringing a proof that you want the land? Don't you know it's our land? So they said, from the Torah. From the Torah. 
So he said to them, did, so the Jews said to them, didn't you read in the Torah that it says, Vayiten Avraham et kol asher lo leitzchak? Abraham gave everything he had to Yitzchak. It's a verse in the Torah, right? And the children of the Pilakshim, of the illegal wives, those were not his official wives, he gave them gifts, portable gifts. But the, all the field, all the, all the real estate, he gave to Yitzchak. So Yitzchak inherited him. What do you have to do with Isaac? You don't have anything with him. You're from Ishmael, not from Isaac. Right? So, of course, they didn't have an answer, and the argument was done. By the way, you should know that the Egyptians returned to claim the same claim a few years ago. Yeah, the Egyptians, it wasn't in a court, but it was over the news. In Egypt, before Mubarak fell, they came and say, you have to give us all the money that you stole from Egypt when you came out. And the Jews answered them, same thing, the Egyptians, I guess, they were not aware of this Gemara. Maybe if they read it, they would not repeat the same mistake. They told them, you have to pay us for all the year we work for you and all the damage and the mental problem and the psychiatrist that we need. Everybody <laughs> list. you owe us a lot more. And that was the end of the argument. Something in the newspaper, someone wrote about it. But this is it. Uh, Antoninus said to Rebbe, Grufu neshama, a body and a soul, yecholim liftor atzma minadin. They have a way to get rid of Hashem's punishment, the body and the soul. It's two entities. How? The body say, it's not my fault. The soul made the sins, not me. I, I only go where the soul moved me to. What do you want from me? He is the master. The soul is mastering the body. From the day the soul came out of my body, did you see me making sins? I was laying on the floor and I couldn't move. So without the soul, I can never make sins. What do you want from me? Right? The soul comes and says, this is Antoninus. He's, the soul says, the body sin. The sun, look, as soon as I came out of the body, did you see me making sins? I fly in the air. From here you see that they know about clinical death, that the soul comes out and fly, just like the scientists found today, the parapsychologists. Rebbe answered him, I'm going to give you a parable, a mashal. What is it like? A king that has a beautiful orchard, and he has great fruit over there. And he puts two guards to watch the, 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 the orchard. One of them is blind, one of them have legs, no legs. Why the king did it? Because the one without the legs cannot go and steal. Right? He can only stand by the gate and scream. The one who cannot see also cannot steal. Right? So what did what happened? The one without the legs told the one with the, with the, without the eyes, hey, you fool. Both of us are limited, but both of us together, it's a perfect machine. You put me on your shoulder, and I'll tell you, go make, go right, my hands, I'll take everything, and you're gonna be my legs. So together, they went and made the scene. You understand what's the problem with the body and the soul? They both get punished. Together, they made the scene. True, the body is the desire. However, without the soul, it's a good point. Then, Amar le Antoninos le Rebbe. Tell me, now Antoninus continued to ask, 
is a woman, Antoninus. Tell me, at what point the soul enters the human's body? Where exactly? Is it in a time that the woman conceived? Or it's in a time that the fetus is completed? Which means the day that the woman became pregnant, let's say tonight, when the baby will be formed 40 days later. So when? The soul enters tonight, when the seed goes into an egg, the soul goes with it, or that only 40 days later when the baby becomes a real complete human being, and in that case the soul enters the body? It's a very good question. What's, by the way, what's the nafkamina? Why the, why the answer is critical? Why the answer is critical? If a woman made an abortion before the 40 days, if the soul entered right away when she conceived, then she murdered the kid. If she did it after, I mean, before, if, if, if the soul only entered when it's 40 days old and she did it after 20 days of pregnancy, maybe she wasn't a murderer. You understand? Depends how you look at it. For halacha, no matter when she does it, she's a murderer because we learn it from wasting seed. If a person wastes seed is a murderer, who cares, pregnant, not pregnant? The actual seed is a soul. The souls are in the seeds of a person. So then the, the answer, he asked him, uh, so when exactly the soul enters in? He told him from the time that he formed, which means 40 days, when he was completed, he was, his image was complete. Do you know a piece of meat that can last without stink, without smelling three days? Unless if you put tons of salt on it, the salt makes it survive with the germs. But if you put a piece of meat in a heat three days, you know what's going to happen? Worms, it's, it's rotten. It becomes rotten. What's the question? How a baby can be without a soul 40 days and not stink and smell and rotten in a, in a wound of, of the woman? And Rebbe said to him, I learned something from you, from this goy. And Rebbe after went, went to the Torah and double checked and he found that verse in the book of Yov. The day of conceiving, the spirit already entered into the body of a person. Spirit. Now you have to know there are five different parts in the soul. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. Each one of them enters in different state. One when she conceived. One when the baby was formed. One when he's born. One in his circumcision, in a Brit Milah. And there's one more part that enters every day and leaves at night when we go to sleep. It enters back when a person says Baruchu in Shul. When everyone says Baruchu at Hashem Amvorach, they say Baruchu. And there's a part that comes in in a Kedusha. And there's all kinds of different things that comes and goes. It's not so simple. If you know Kabbalah, it's becoming very, very deep. But we are now talking the integral neshama, the ones who stays in the body all the time. Amar Rebbe, I learned this from Antoninus, and I found a verse that proved that he was right, not me. Amar le Antoninus, he was a very smart guy. Amar le Antoninus, you know the story of Antoninus. He used to go to learn with Rebbe, he made a cave. 
because if the soldiers would know he goes to learn, they'll kill him. So, so, so the, he had two bodyguards. He was the prince. So he was the, so the soldiers walked him in. He used to kill them before he entered the, the cave of Rebi. Rebi was in a place. He made a cave. Every time they used to go in, he pulled his sword and killed both of them. He was killing them that they won't know just how much he wanted to learn Torah. So he says to him like this, Yetzer Ara, the evil inclination, when he begins to control the person from the time that he was formed, he's 40 days old already, or from the time he comes out to the world. Rabbi told him from the time that he was formed, 40 days. So he told him in that case, if he was a master of himself, the evil inclination control him, he can start kicking his mother and he wants to come out. But we see obviously that he's obeying the rule of pregnancy. Ela mishat yetziah, Rebbe said to him, you won again. There's two things I learned from you. And I found a verse that you write. La petach chatat rovetz. The petach is an entry and exit. Petach, you know, petach is the entrance that you come in and out. When he comes out from the entrance, from the door, from the mother's body, Chatat rovets. Chatat means the name of the Yetzirah. Right away, attack him. And the Torah also says, The evil inclination of a person is bad since he was a kid. Not since he was a baby inside his mother's womb, since he was a kid already, alive. The Yetzirah is there. That's why the children are, have chutzpah to their parents. That's why they don't listen when you ask them to do something. That's why they make noise, you tell them stop, and they do even more noise. Where they get all this anxiety to make everyone angry and to, do pro to make problems, they insult each other, they fight, they beat up, they do bad things, they steal the bike, they break it. Uh, they hide the ties of their brothers that he won't have what to wear on Shabbos as long as I have. Where this comes from? If they don't have Yetzirah, they have Yetzirah. Right? So, Rebbe found two things, and you know what's beautiful about the Gemara? That it's objective. By the Goim, you never find a story that the Jew proved to them wrong and they wrote it in the Quran or in the New Testament. By the Torah, you see all the good and all the bad. When the Goy won the argument, it's in the Gemara. When the Jew was a wicked king, it's in the Gemara. When a righteous Jew made a sin, even that particular one sin he made in his whole life, it's in the Torah. Why? It's divine, there's no lies. No sweeping things under the rug. Divine book, it's the good and the bad together. Rabbi Elazar, a person that doesn't have Da'at, Da'at, we have Chokhmah, Bina, Vada'at. Chokhmah, it's intelligent. Uh, Bina, it's wisdom, the ability to understand one thing from another. And Da'at is the ability to take what you learn and turn it into good deeds, to control your desire. Someone who doesn't have this control, you're not allowed to have mercy on him. Not allowed to have mercy on him. Rabbi El-Azhar says, if you give your food to a person like this, that a person like this always do the wrong thing. Yisurim ba'im alav. Hashem will punish you for giving tzedakah and food to this kind of people. You have to check very carefully who you give. 
Why? Because this person will take what you give him and make sins with that. That's not what Hashem wants. person that doesn't have a spiritual wisdom to do the right thing ended up in exile. His sin makes him leave the country and, and go to exile. שנאמר, פרפית איזיה, לכן גלה עמי מבלי דעת. אמר רבי אלעזר, this is all the saying of רבי אלעזר here, כל שאינו מענה תלמיד חכם מנכסיו, אינו רואה סימן ברכה לעולם. A person that never donates to the high scholars in Torah, people who learn Torah, people who teach Torah, he doesn't give them charity and help and support. will never ever see a blessing in all the wealth that he gathered. He can make a lot of money. He goes to cancer of this boy, he goes to divorce, he goes to the IRS, he goes to bankruptcy here, uh, somebody robbed you, this problem, uh, engine died, uh, the car, what, all kinds of things. You miss your flight, $2,000 gone, this, you had to go, someone sued you. Never enjoy the money. Yeah, you make money. but you never have blessing in it. Why? Because you are egoistic. The people who, thanks to them, the world exists, is all the people who sit and learn Torah or teach Torah. Thanks to them, you breathe. Thanks to them, you eat. Thanks to them, you're able to walk. Thanks to them, you're able to have kids. Everything you have in this world, all the beautiful views that you see, without them, you wouldn't have. You have to pay your taxes to them, not to the garbage. To the people who the Torah, who Hashem say, my scholars, the people who learn my Torah, they're reviving my world. These are the people you have to be grateful to. And in the end, guess what? In Israel, they butcher them, the people who learn Torah, all day, all night against them. Not only they don't thank them and try to help them, they call them names and fight against them. Everything is the opposite in this world. Someone that finished to eat has to leave a little bread on his table, right? If he wants to have blessing in the rest of his meals, you leave a little bread, bread is a sign of blessing. It blesses the whole table. Someone who doesn't leave bread, he loses the blessing in the food in his house. Tana Dave Eliyahu, Eliyahu Anavi. צדיקים שעתיד הקדוש ברוך הוא להחיותם אינם חוזרים לעפרם. The righteous Jews who will revive in the resurrection of the death will never ever go back to the ground, will not die again. You understand? So what's going to happen? It's going to be a thousand years from six thousand to seven thousand and then the world will be destroyed. But there will not be another burial. That's it. There's no reason for it. The souls came back Hashem put them back here, they live forever, there's no death, no more giving birth, no more even inclination, no more this, none of that. Once the world is ended, Hashem takes the soul and put them in life of eternity, forever and ever, no more physical world, no more body and soul, none of these things. The souls will remain in the final step, what we call Olam HaNetzach, the eternal world. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, the righteous people are greater than the angels of God. greater in, in the eyes of God, who is more perfect? This angel that never makes sins and he serves Hashem every day and he sings to Hashem. They have choirs in heaven, different levels, angels are singing. Many of the things that we say in the prayer comes from the, what the prophet told us about what's happening up there. A group of angels that looks like this singing this, the other group answering them. Beautiful world up there. 
like Kedusha that we do in Tefillat Shmona Esrei, it all comes from there. Kadosh, 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 lo umata mishabachim v'omrim, and then the other side, the choir of the other angels are answering, Baruch Shem Kvod Hashem Imkomo, Enimloch Hashem Leolam, all these beautiful words that we say in Tefillah comes from the upper worlds. Alright? So the righteous people are even greater than the Malachi Asharet. The dead people that Ezekiel, Prophet Yechezkel, when they got up after hundreds of years, this is the tribe of Ephraim. When they got up on their legs, it took them a few minutes to understand what's going on. Because Hashem told the Prophet, say your prophecy, and all the bones started to con connect it, and the ligaments, and the flesh, and the skin, and then the soul came in, and they started to clean the dust from their body, and they all looked around and seen a lot of noise, right? They went to Eretz Israel. First, they started to sing. They were so happy that they came back to life, so they all gathered to sing to Hashem. Then they went to Eretz Israel, and they married women. They got married. They had children. And Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera got up on his legs and say, I am their grand-grandchildren of this tribe. I am their descendants. And it says to them, and this tefillin, he took us tefillin, he said, this tefillin, my father gave me, and he came from his father, which means there was their tefillin, the people who Hashem revived. Or, or, Rabbi, or Yechezkel the prophet says his prophecy. Yechezkel was about 2,500 years ago. So that means they were buried for about 800 years there, since they came out of Egypt before the nation of Israel came out. They came ahead of time, and they all died, right? Who are those that Yechezkel revived? The Gemara said, the tribe of Ephraim, that they calculated the end of the slavery wrong, and they escaped on their own. They didn't wait for Moshe to take them out. They didn't want to hear. They escaped, and they all, that's what happened to them. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, generation that the Mashiach will come in it, there will be very less very less and less rabbis, real big giant rabbis remained. Today, like I always say, maybe we have six, seven left and that's it. Used to be hundreds, hundreds, to be, to be thousands of giant rabbis, huge, that know the whole Torah by heart. How many are left from the previous generation? You have Rav Ovadia, Rav Yashiv, Rav Steinman, uh, Rav Rosner, and about another four or five, all of them older than 90, some of them older than 100 which means that soon going to be a situation that no one is left. Still, a lot of people who know Torah don't get the wrong impression. For us, it's a very impressive Torah. But in the requirements of Hashem, there's a lot more to go. We are now talking six, seven, maximum ten new giants, which are all of them very, very old. And who knows what's going to be? Maybe in two, three years from now, we don't know what's going to happen. But this is one of the prophecies that before Mashiach come, that's what will happen. This was written 2,000 years ago. When this was written, almost every other Jew was a giant in the Torah. Nobody could ever imagine that we will get to a situation that will be, you can count on one hand how many giants rabbi left in the world. Remember, this was written when you had 10, 20, 50, 100,000 big giants chachamim in a generation of the Gemara. Who would believe such a thing will happen? We don't understand what we're reading here. Each